and welcome to the Aussie Pastor Live, right here on Faith FM. G'day, my name's Lloyd Grolleman, I am the Aussie Pastor, and we are live, coming to you from our studios in northwest Sydney on another, and I said this last week, and I'm saying it again this week, it's another cold, blustery <laughs> winter day. You know, I'm starting to, I used to think I was a winter person, but I'm starting to think I'm a summer man, and I'm just longing for some warm days. Hunty. Hey, mate. Welcome to the program today. Thanks, buddy. Good you to be here. You don't know who he is? He's our... <laughs> what are you? Uh, Producer, director, sound man. I'm the guy with all the coloured lights and knobs in front of me. And everything else. <laughs> <laughs> and co-commentator on the Aussie Pastor Live. Glad to have you here, mate. Thanks, mate. You know, I just want to start the program off a little differently this week. I want to start by Not sharing... <laughs> <laughs> I want to start by sharing a, a message we got from a guy. And it kind of meant a bit... To me, this is a guy called Bill, and then I want you to share a prayer request we got, and I think we'll open the program with prayer. What a great idea. Yeah. So the, here's the message. It's from Bill, and, and this means a lot to me because last week we had a discussion on, you remember what it was, on family violence. Yeah. Uh, and this guy's written into us, and, and the Lord's moving on his heart and obviously working in his life. He says, hi, guys. I'm not an Adventist. That's cool. We're happy to hear from you, Bill. Absolutely. I was baptised a Baptist when I was 13 at my request. I have stopped violence to women many times, including to an Aboriginal woman, and I can say, praise God, he stopped. But what I want to say is that God has given me life many times. But once when I was hit by a car as a pedestrian, by the statements of the people in the car, I had no pulse, heartbeat or breathing. But several minutes later, I started to roughly breathe again. It could have only been God who brought me back. My name is Bill. I listen to your program and enjoy it. Have a great day, guys. And Bill, it's for people like you that we get up and we do this program. And I'm glad you're listening, and may God bless you. May continue, and I really mean this from my heart, may he continue to lead you in a road of peace where you're able to give up those things of the past and be a new man, not just for yourself but to those who are hanging around you. Now, Hunty. You know what? Hang on. I need to just um, I need to, to thank Bill. I think more men need to stand up in defence of our women. And he, he seems to really have jumped in there between people who have been abusing women. So I commend him for, for being their rescuer. Well, he's acknowledging that he had a problem and then he's moving on. All righty. So, praise so, God for that. Amen. All right. So, um, hi, guys. Please pray for me as I'm applying for a management job. But my company is definitely a men's club. I'm sorry to hear that. And women hardly ever get a look in. I always get the offer to be acting manager when the manager gets fired or goes on leave or actually resigns, which is often but never seem to be lucky enough to be accepted for the position when I apply. This will be my third attempt for this position after another manager has resigned again. Whilst I'm acting manager at this very moment, I have been with the company for five years. The applications close in two weeks' time. My fingers are crossed. Would be really grateful for your prayers on this one. Love and blessings. Thank you so much. I won't say your name, but you know what? Pastor Lord and I would love to pray for you. Yeah, we would. Yeah, because that's a big deal when yes. you've been hanging around for a job. Yep. You've been faithful and loyal. And, and yep. if you're out there and you don't have a job and you want a job, we're going to pray for you now too. We're also going to pray to open our program. Yes. So look, if you would, as you're listening, now don't do this if you're in the car, <laughs> but if you're anywhere else, <laughs> bow your heads and we'll pray. You ready, mate? Yes. Dear Lord, we come before you today. I want to thank you for Bill, for his testimony.
I want to pray for our friend who is looking for a job. Uh, she deserves it, Lord. You, you know she's been faithful. She's been loyal. I'll just pray Jesus, the Holy Spirit, will work on the hearts of those who make the decision and that if it be your will, and that's really important, Lord, if it be your will that you'll give this good lady this very important job. Uh, thank you for hearing our prayer, Lord. Bless us on this program, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to welcome you again to the program today, to the Aussie Pastor. We're glad you're here. Uh, I hope and pray you'll be blessed. We've got some good interviews today. We're talking to, a, well, he's a mate of both of us, huh? Mm, mm. Brett Goods, he's the CEO of the Sydney Adventist Hospital. Has a pretty big job, actually. Huge job. He does. Yeah. And I reckon, now I might be a bit biased, but I reckon it's the best hospital bar none. Of course. In- <laughs> of course. I'm not biased either, but I'd say it's the best hospital in Australia. Yeah. Well, I think it is. And 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 we're not biased, are we? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> we're also going to speak to Harold Harker, who's got a beauty of a story to share with us, and with some good music and some great, really interesting Bible studies. This is going to be a good program, but we also want to hear from you. True hunting? Indeed. Now, if you've got a prayer request, contact us. If yes. you've got... A question, what's that one? Ask the Aussie pastor. Yep. Yep. Contact us, any question, any Bible question. And we've already got some in, haven't we, Hunty? We do. And they're pretty hard. Yes. (laughs) I'll enjoy watching you answer one of those. I I think you've been stirring people up a bit. Hey, what's the number and the email they go to, Hunty, if they want to contact us? Uh, 0488-880-851 or info at aussiepastor.com. Run it again, bro. 0488-880-851. 851 or info at com. You got that phone number in your head yet? Not yet. You know, I'm going to keep asking you that every week. Have you got Look, that? I, I've got a lot of facts in my head and that's full. Well, this number, we'd like to push something else out. Well, I suppose at 63 or 40 years of age, my head would be full too, mate. Yeah, thanks for that 10-year inflation. <laughs> ten, a 10-year inflation, huh? <laughs> well, we're glad you're here. We are. It's going to bless us and we're looking forward to the next couple of hours with you. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. Hey, Hunty, a couple of quick news items yep. I've come across. Yep. I read that who, you know who they are? Who? World, World Health, Health Organisation. Organisation, yep. Is backtracking on their advice that they've had out for a couple of, well, for a few years now. They're backtracking on their advice that women before pregnancy, during pregnancy and after pregnancy should avoid alcohol. In other words, they're saying, don't worry about that advice anymore. Ooh. I think that, with science the way it is, I find that pretty incredible. So what they're saying is we're certain that a mother can drink while pregnant and not affect No, the- they're not going that far. Are they? They're just backtracking their prohibition on alcohol before, during and after pregnancy. And when you look at, have you ever heard of alcohol fetal syndrome? I have. It's terrible. It, it comes about because mothers drink. Yep. And what happens is you get babies born with all sorts of deformities. And I find it incredible that the World Health Organization would backtrack on that. And mm. I really can't tell you why. Mm. But you sometimes see in the news these sorts of things and you scratch your head and you shake your head and you don't know why. Because alcohol is a proven, it is a proven scientific fact that it causes enormous damage to both the woman and the baby. Yep. And I keep saying, I I remember, remember when we had Dr. Ross Grant on. Yep. And I can't get over what he told me on that. You know, maybe you say, oh, pastor, you're a bit thick. Maybe you you should have known this a long time ago. But the idea that when you drink alcohol, 
you're actually drinking a poison. And what I mean by that is it is a poison to your mouth, to yep. your tongue, yep. to your throat, uh, to your stomach, to your esophagus. Everywhere the alcohol goes, it acts as a poison. And he gave the example. Remember what he said We with the COVID-19? And boy, isn't it, isn't it a kind of a bit disconcerting that COVID's raising its ugly head oh, again here in Sydney? Yes. Um, Can't wait till we're all vaccinated or most of us are vaccinated. Yeah, well, look, except when you look at Britain and some of these countries, I'm going off track on the alcohol at the market. I can Oops. do that, can't I? <laughs> we can. <laughs> um, even the vaccinated countries are struggling. I mean, really? Britain's 50% vaccinated and they're plunging in with this new Delta strain into another disaster. Oh, dear. And then you see Australia. It seems we're just always on the verge, just holding it off. Um, kind of glad you and me went and got that AstraZeneca. Yeah, same. Yeah. Yeah, um, very grateful. I think we've got to get the second one now, don't we? Yep. Although I did notice that here we are in our 50s. There you go, listeners. I'll admit Hunter's not in his 60s. He's in his 50s. But he's certainly not 53 or 4 like he was making out either. Um, it, it, it's, it's an amazing thing to me that, that with the vaccinations, it's still not really working. And this new COVID Delta variety is really dangerous. Now, getting back to the alcohol, the alcohol mate. Yep. Uh, where were we? Uh, oh, Dr. Fetal, Ross Green. Dr. Ross Green. Remember yeah. what he said? He said that when you... Wash your hands with alcohol. Do you remember why he said we do that? Because the alcohol kills the... Yeah, all the germs. All the germs. Yep. It, it actually That's kills... That's what hand sanitizer is. It's just pure alcohol. 99.9%. No, it kills 99.9% of germs, yeah, doesn't it? that's right. But it is heavy alcohol. It is. So when you drink this stuff, it actually is killing the cells in your mouth, in your tongue, in your throat, in your esophagus, in your stomach... Everywhere in your colon, everywhere. So that that you know, for for the World Health Organization to bring that advice out, I, I don't know, Hunty. I just found it incredible. Yeah, me too. Moving on to a very painful subject. <laughs> I thought I'd bring this up. I like it. State of origin. Yeah, go the blues, the mighty blues. You know, sometimes it's a humbling experience working <laughs> with you. <laughs> I did my best. Fortunately, when it comes to state of origin, not a whole lot. Because uh, you haven't won a whole lot in the last. Well, 10 you know years. what? Since we've been doing this live radio program, we've won every single state of origin game. Well, there's been one. <laughs> <laughs> Fifty to six. It's a massacre. You know, when we we're talking about family violence last week. Yep. Did you know that when Queensland loses a state of origin, that violence against women, wives, and families goes up? It's staggering. They get game. drunk and they get upset. Did you know that I was brought up in football? My dad, my dad and mum disliked very much football, but I got a, a love for it very early on. I was, I was uh, brought up in New Zealand, playing, started playing at school, rugby union, mucked around playing as I got older, never, never got very far, but loved the game. Uh, and I took State of Origin very, very seriously. Did you know me when I used to take it seriously nope. or not? Hey? No, no, I only remember you from your, heart, your fast cars. Yeah, you, you talk to some of my mates at college, I'll tell you what, <laughs> Grolly was like at college and it comes to state of origin. You know, I learned a really sharp lesson when, when the Lord found me and I came to him. I took the state of origin of the football so seriously that I decided I needed a break from it. You know how you can take things too seriously? Oh, yeah. And so I, I, I don't say this for any other, reason, any other reason other than what a blessing it's been for me. So on state of origin football night, I don't watch it anymore. Now, you know that to be the truth. I do. Because you've rung me up and reminded me yes. of it, especially when you win. You'll especially give me at half-time when we're thrashing you. He gives me one of those nasty little narky calls, you know, that they give you when they're... <laughs> no, 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 call. <laughs> <laughs> what are friends for? 
So what I did is I kind of sacrificed that. Now I don't want to set myself up as a saint because Hunty will tell you I'm far from that. <laughs> but I, I kind of set aside the state of origin night now as a night of prayer and time with God. And so while the whole world's going ballistic on this football, I'm kind of having... Now I still check the score out at least by the next day and if the Queenslanders win, Hunty certainly hears about it. And <laughs> yep. So he's been hearing about it the last few years quite a bit and that's why he's so... Uh, uppity uppity at the moment about this big win they had the other night but you know what it's been such a blessing hunty and i found you know this is i, I kind of find this weird because i'm an aussie they call me the aussie passer i'm an aussie yep i love my football my rugby league my rugby union i love my cricket i love my sport but since i found jesus kind of my mind and my desires and my wants have been changing yep and i think that's not a bad thing what do you reckon yeah i guess it's a much better thing than what my wife and i do Oh, to be fair to you. scream at the TV together. <laughs> you don't watch footy much. Only the not- state of origin. I, I don't think you ever had the the foundations and the hooks into it that I did. Right. You, you don't have any. In fact, when the when when the cockroaches, that's the New South Wales guys win, Hunty just shrugs it off and moves on. That's right. <laughs> but it, it, it did remind me again, you know, as the whole world goes pleasure crazy and the signs tell us that Jesus will soon be here, that it's a good idea for us to redirect our minds to Christ and to his things, and to continue to seek a deeper walk with him. You're listening to The Aussie Pastor, here on Faith FM. This first song's a beautiful song. It is. The old rugged cross. I've been singing this all my life. Me too. By Bart Millard, and this is a beautiful rendition. Thanks, hunty.
trophies at last I lay down I will cling to the old rugged cross And exchange it someday for a Welcome, Brett Goods, to the show today. He's the CEO of the Sydney Adventist Hospital. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Lloyd. In fact, I uh, really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. You've had an amazing journey yourself, personally, from a trained nurse to the CEO of one of the biggest private hospitals in Australia. Could you share a little bit with us about that journey? Yeah, look, I've been blessed. I uh, trained at Sydney Adventist Hospital, well, Avondale University College. I did my uh, program, was formally recognised through, but uh, I spent my uh, my training period at Sydney Adventist Hospital uh, after an initial six months at Avondale, and uh, I worked as a clinical nurse for a few years. It was in the order of, say, three or four years, and then I got into a management role relatively young in terms of running a, a ward. The stand has been an incredible opportunity for me. I was very blessed in having a number of uh, leadership opportunities for a for-profit group for mm. about seven years mm. and then returned. Um, 13 years after I had left Sydney Adventist Hospital, I returned in 2014 um, and was in a chief operating officer role. Um, for a couple of years uh, and then took on the CEO role in an acting capacity from 2017 but uh, more formally from the middle of 2018. Okay. So yes, I've uh, it's been a it's been a, a great journey. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like it. Um the Sydney Adventist Hospital is a unique hospital in Australia and in Sydney. Could you give us just a brief history of the SAN and perhaps tell us why they call it the SAN rather than regularly the Sydney Adventist Hospital? Sure. So, look, Sydney Adventist Hospital, uh, or the original uh, Sydney Sanitarium and Hospital, came into existence uh, at the beginning of 1903, so 118 years ago, and it was um, an, the endeavour of the of the Seventh Day Adventist Church to um, to have a facility um, in Warringah um, to uh, provide health and healing to the surrounding communities mm. and because of that Sydney Sanitarium uh, and Hospital title they formally changed the name in 1973 when the uh, main uh, the Clifford Tower as we now refer to it opened mm. Mm. and but it's ever since has been you know it's, it's been known as the sand because people Australians we like to shorten uh, words and uh, and so it's continued to be broadly known in our community as the sand. Uh, how many beds in the hospital? So we talk about in hospital land we talk about overnight beds uh, and we talk about day only beds okay, but essentially yeah. most commonly we talk about how many licensed overnight beds are at the, at the hospital and there's on our license currently there's 524 okay. uh, beds and then there's about a 200 um, day-only location. So they're things like the uh, day procedures centre where someone will come in, 
on a day they might be here for three or four hours and then yeah. they exit the hospital. Yeah. So there's certain, so there's a couple of hundred of those spaces as well. And, and it how is many, the largest private. It is the largest private in New South Wales. How many staff? Head count is about 2,300. Mm, that's a lot. Um, <laughs> I've got to say something right here. I actually have been into Sydney Adventist Hospital probably too many times, Brett. <laughs> I, but if I, if I go and I've got to have surgery, it's always at the scene. And the last time I went to the scene, it was for a, a knee replacement. Um, which is a, for me anyway, I, I reckon it's a pretty invasive and a fairly serious operation, you know, and, uh, I'm not sure I knew what I was getting into when I w- went in for it, but I gotta tell you, when I went in there, the staff, and, and I'm not just saying this, I, I really mean it from my heart, and it was my experience, and I actually wrote about it on my social media when I got out, the staff were fantastic, and I just had as good a time as you could have in a, a, a knee surgery, you know, and, and so I really, felt that they they look after you they care for you they keep an eye on you the pain management was sensational and uh i just really appreciated sydney adventist hospital and my experience with it um it brings me to the surgeries and the surgeons is sydney adventist hospital basically a, a surgery hospital Look, firstly, I'd just like to say, Lloyd, I'm glad that you had a great experience. And yeah. you're right, having a knee replacement is a is a is a significant operation in yeah. terms of uh, in terms of the undertaking and and the recovery from it. Um, Sydney Adventist Hospital is not just a surgical hospital. So, mm. unique in New South Wales to some extent, we we have a, an emergency department. Yes, um, and so we receive ambulances um, in the order of a you know, 140 every four weeks yes. uh, present to our hospital, um, bringing patients to us. And so we we offer a, an array of services pretty much across the acute medical surgical yeah, setting. Yeah, yeah. In fact, medical patients fill close to 50% of our beds. Okay. And then we also offer uh, rehabilitation services, the, the suite of uh, surgical services, as we, as you asked about, yeah. is comprehensive. Yeah, there's uh, essentially any surgery that you could have in a major public hospital or one of those big private hospitals. We do all of it. The only things that we don't do here are transplant surgery and also major trauma. It would be fair to say too that the surgeons that work at the SAN would be some of not just the best surgeons in Australia, but the best in the world. Is that right? Uh, absolutely, we're we're incredibly blessed to have uh, to um, both because of who the organisation is, as in who is Sydney Adventist Hospital and the work that we've done over you know 118 years. Yeah, yeah. we're a very attractive location for high quality clinicians to come and work with us, mm-hmm. just like. You mentioned our staff. I mean, the fact that we have we have great staff, and I mean, realistically, if you think about healthcare, um, it's nice to have beautiful buildings and it, the latest technology, yeah. and they are important. Yeah, yeah. But realistically, healthcare is all about people mm. and those interactions. For arguments sake, your examples about being a patient here or having surgery—that's mm. what it's really about. And that's what makes the difference. I think actually it's the merging of the wonderful surgery together with that care that is so important at the sand. And that's what I experienced when I went in there because, you know, you go in there 
I'm, I'm having an operation. I didn't really know what it was about. It was a lot bigger than I thought. And when I came out, the support, and it wasn't just the support of the nurses, it was the support of the chaplains, it was the support of the staff. And you know what? I've got to say this too. It was the food. The food was fabulous. It was like eating in a five, I don't know whether I should say this, but it's like eating in a five-star restaurant. Just beautiful, beautiful food. And the experience was good. And then I went to, I think you'd call it rehabilitation downstairs. Is that right? Correct. Yes, yes. We have an inpatient rehabilitation service and we also offer an outpatient or a day-only rehabilitation service. For someone, the whole idea about rehabilitation is to try and um, uh, as smoothly and quickly as we can return you to Mm. full function. Mm. Mm. And sometimes that happens as an inpatient episode. Sometimes it happens as a, um, I stay at home but I come in. um, two or three days a week, yeah. and sometimes it happens in the home by itself. Yes. I, I actually went to rehabilitation downstairs, and I think, and uh, my local doctor said it later, it had a lot to do with the, the good, clean, and fast healing that I experienced from that operation to be in that ward and cared for just through that rehabilitation process. It, it was such a, a good experience. And I suppose that's one of the, it, it's the merging of the surgery and the care that does make the sand different from other hospitals. And I'm not in any way dispersing on other hospitals, but the reality is I've been in the public hospitals and you kind of get moved out as fast as possible. Whereas in the hospital, the coming together, the sand, the coming together of those two, um, services is really quite powerful. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Does, does the sand do any community work or, or is it just pretty much based in the hospital itself? We do a range of things in terms of outside the walls of the hospital. You will have heard, I'm pretty sure, about um, a program called Open Heart International. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Now, that's not so much in our immediate surrounding um, uh, community. It's actually in the South Pacific. Well, that's how it started. It started in the 80s um, uh, as a team of volunteers. So all of these uh, the open heart teams go out as volunteers, both surgeons, anaesthetists, nurses, allied health, yeah. Uh, people who want to be able to make a contribution and they, they, they did, uh, assessment and treatment of cardiac disease, um, in Tonga was the first location that they went to. Mm-hmm. And, um, these are people who can't access, um, those sort of acute services without traveling. Yeah, um, right. and, uh, the opportunity was, uh, seen to take teams to um, these locations. Ultimately, it ended up as going to 16 different countries spread okay. across Southeast, the South Pacific, Southeast Asia, um, and also Africa. Um, there's been a number of locations in Africa where they have taken teams to. And uh, I've been on a few of those trips. They're pretty life-changing yeah, in terms yeah. of for the people making the trip as well as for the people who are treated. Um, and it's been that's been a great um, missional activity. And it's not just cardiac. Uh, they've done also ophthalmology, gyne, yeah. um, and also plastic and reconstructive for burns and those yeah. sorts of things. Does it help the local nurses and doctors and surgeons as they watch and participate uh, with the SAN staff? Does that help them to better treat the people themselves in these local areas? Yeah, absolutely, uh, it does. Um, I would say there's probably, you know, there's there's a range of, uh, you know, in terms of the frequency of visits, the uh, numbers of visits, and also the training for the local staff. 
yeah. um, whether they be surgeons or nursing or allied health. Yeah. Um, uh, and and we've seen some you know some really great things happen in places like Nepal. Yeah. Um, in uh, in PNG, there's been significant upskilling in that location, and I'm probably not doing justice to the total work that they've done, but it yeah. has had a really amazing um, impact. Yeah. And look, there's things that we do closer to home here as well in terms of um, you know the we've got an integrated cancer centre, and, and one of the elements of the uh, of that integrated cancer centre, which and what does that mean? It's essentially a location where we bring all of the uh, the different teams who deliver cancer treatment here at Sydney Adventist Hospital. Mm. So that might be um, medical oncology, so specialist doctors who mm. treat patients medically for cancer, surgical oncology, radiation oncology, so you know, radiation therapy, many people will have heard that term. Mm. And we bring them together in one physical location and uh, in that setting we offer patients a really comprehensive treatment where their cases are presented at what's referred to as a multidisciplinary team meeting. Mm -hmm. And that happens in, in, a, in a fantastic, fantastic physical location where these cases are presented and the different specialists are able to have their input as to what they think is the best treatment plan for these, uh, for these patients. That's and fabulous. And the evidence... It is, and the evidence um, is clear that people get better outcomes as a result of having a multidisciplinary team yeah. approach yeah. Uh, versus the traditional way we used to do things where I might see my GP who might identify a problem, he might send me to a surgeon um, who will make decisions or will make, it and yeah, make assessments. Yeah. But his ability in that setting to interact with his colleagues and make, or her colleagues, and make decisions about um, what's the best um, uh, form of treatment was just uh, because it was dislocated. Yeah, yeah, I get you know, what you're you saying. Had to go to different people, and I think that's been a really that's been a fantastic enhancement of treatment. And also, the reality is with uh, with improvements in treatment methodologies. So whether yeah. that might be the sorts of agents we use for chemotherapy uh, or immunotherapy, yeah. um, surgery and radiation, all of those things now can actually happen. In, they're quite different and the, the understanding of the type of cancer a patient has down to a, to a DNA level yeah. uh, does make a real difference to the options and what's the most appropriate treatment for this individual's cancer type. And you have a place called Jacaranda Lodge as well. Yes, Jacaranda Lodge is a facility that we combine both uh, low-cost accommodation for people who might be travelling mm. from regional areas or from out of area to have treatment at the sand, mm. uh, and also uh, maybe it's someone uh, who is requiring an extended period of treatment and doesn't need to be in a hospital bed. Yeah, and yeah. then also we have our cancer support program, which runs from that location as well. Yeah, um, and essentially you don't have to have had your hospital treatment at Sydney Adventist Hospital to access that service. Yeah, yeah. And so they run a whole range of things like um, education um, forums, um, uh, support groups, yeah. um, the access to uh, materials that uh, if you want to learn more about what's, uh, what your condition is or, or the person you're caring for, because yeah. obviously it offers a service to carers as well. Yeah, yeah. And things like a wig library, if you're yeah. going to lose your hair as a result of treatment, 
um, you know, the ability to have access to, you know, to not have that really unique identifier that people suffering from cancer who have to lose their hair. It is, it is a really, it's a very uh, public yeah. display of the fact that I'm not well in yeah. terms of, uh, you know, to lose your hair. I think, um, Brett, I might just give you a break there for a minute, if that's okay. Uh, we'll have a song and we'll give you a breather and we'll be back. You're listening to the Aussie Pasta here on Faith FM. This next song, it's a new one for me again, Hunty. Yep. Finding all these new songs. Love it, actually. And this is not a bad one. I Need Jesus by Ryan Proudfoot. Never heard of that guy, have you? Nope. And you're a muso, too. Yeah. If you haven't heard of them, yeah, they're, mm. they're still on the way up. How's that? <laughs> and it's a beautiful song, though. I think you'll enjoy it. is trouble but you bring peace I find it on my face yeah on my knees in my darkest of hours I will call your name when I'm weary and broken in my weakness I will pray I need Jesus
I Need Jesus. Beautiful, beautiful song. Well, welcome back, Brett. I noticed I used to be a a, um, a few years ago a pastor in a church uh, actually next door to the sand, fairly big church, and we used to work with the sand with our car park. And I used to notice every day that people would come in and park in our church car park. Of course, this was the deal we had, and they, I think, if I remember, they used to have yellow t-shirts on. They were volunteers. Um, yeah. How important are those volunteers to the hospital system? And if someone's listening, can they become involved as a SAN volunteer? Our volunteers are, are, are a very visible community endorsement of, of how this community uh, feels about Sydney Adventist Hospital. Yeah. You don't get 500 people or in that sort of quantum who give their time to actually support Sydney Adventist Hospital uh, in the work that it does. And they do, a, they do a huge array of different things for us. So from the front door of the organisation, of Sydney Adventist Hospital, they also work at Sand Day Surgery as well. So, um, you know, they offer that. These are people who have had broad life experience, but they want to make a contribution. Often it is about the fact that either themselves they've had uh, experience with healthcare at the Sand, or they have had family members, or they're really just people who are at a stage in life where they'd like to give something back. And so they are an enormous blessing to the organisation. So I talked about places like the front entry, the concierge area. They show people around because it's not unusual for people to get lost in an organisation, in a place this size. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you get to talk to them in the car park and they seem very dedicated and very loyal to the sand. If, if you wanted to become a volunteer, you just contact the sand, do you, and go from there. They yep. provide training, etc. Yeah, that's correct. So uh, the, the people um, put forward their interest and uh, we've got a manager there, uh, Katrina McLean, who uh, who coordinates everything that happens with our volunteers, and that yeah. includes orientation and uh, the usual things that you'd expect to be put in place. Um, tell us, Brett, what do you think makes the SAN experience different to other hospitals? I think uh, Sydney Adventist Hospital, um, the SAN, is uh, uh, we're an we're an overtly an overtly faith based organisation, mm. and I think the I think that does make a difference to um, the experience for patients or family members, visitors, and even our staff. Mm. I think the fact that um, you know that we we are a church-owned organisation um, that has that sort of overarching reason for being yeah. is uh, one of the significant. Well, well I think it, I think it is the, the differentiator in terms of. Of, uh, of the experience of people who come here. Do you I have, have a... Uh, yeah, sorry, go on. I had an opportunity last Friday um, to go and visit with a family on our oncology ward yeah. um, and they were there with their dad who was close to death Yeah. Um, and his wife and his kids were there and they they just talked about the fact that their experience had been um, way above and beyond what they had ever expected. Mm. They have previously been um, patients here as well, yeah, but yeah. they just the, the the son who I who, who spent talked the most talked about the fact that he felt like that God was present. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah. Um, it was about it was about the way our, our clinicians, our staff, the people who deliver the food, the the, yeah. the the wardsmen who move patients around, just how those interactions had been with them, and their experience of that was just um, pretty moving. It is moving, and I, look, I don't know whether I should do this, but I'll tell you just my little experience. I'm in there. I've had that knee surgery, which for me ended up being quite a frightening experience. I'm in there on the Friday night, and I'm I'm by myself. No visitors had come that particular evening, and one of your staff actually uh, uh, works very close to you. She came into my room to visit me and then spent two hours with me just keeping me calm, settling me down. I don't know whether I was having a reaction to the drugs or not, but I was in an anxious state. And and that meant so much to me. And, and you hear that from people who go into the Sydney Adventist Hospital all the time, how the staff go out of their way to make your stay extra special and, and to bring assurance to you in what can be a frightening time. Do you have chaplains? Yeah, we certainly do. We have a very active spiritual care services team. That's the, that's the and they are chaplains. Yes, um, who um, are very active. Um, all of our patients who spend a night in this hospital are visited at least once by one of our chaplains. It's really around meeting each individual patient where they are. Yeah. So it's not so much a it's not so much an evangelical exercise. It's around yeah. supporting. Um, patients yeah. and their families. Now, my daughter, now you probably don't know this, but she was a, uh, a training nurse. In other words, she did a degree at Avondale uh, College University, just like you did. But she did her degree yep. uh, in conjunction with Sydney Adventist Hospital. And so I know firsthand that Sydney Adventist Hospital actually has a very important function in training nurses and others. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so look, that's a really proud history for um, Sydney Adventist Hospital. Right from the opening in 1903, mm. nurses were trained here, um, and that's continued throughout that 118 years. In the 80s, they partnered with uh, Avondale, Avondale mm. University College, mm. to to make it a tertiary program, yeah. um, and you referred to the fact that your daughter went through that program, as yes. I did. And um, we, I think in the first year of this year, so I'm talking about 2021, there's uh, about 170 students that have uh, started first year, either at Avondale or or they can also start at uh, at Sydney Adventist Hospital now. And the SAN offers um, all of its nursing placements, these are for for clinical placements, to Avondale University College, um, and we also have a small number of uh, trainee enrolled nurses who yeah. go through a TAFE-type program. Yeah. But we also do that for allied health um, from for other universities and medical students. Um, so it is part of, uh, you know, the hospital's contribution to the future workforce, and we currently have a partnership with Australian National University for the medical students, which has only very recently come into place. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're really excited about the prospects that offers us in terms of uh, being Australia's number one university in terms of the rankings, and also um, they've got a relatively small medical program, but they also 
um, we'll be doing research, etc., with our clinicians, etc., as well. Yeah, um, actually, you know, I was saying um, this happened for both my wife and my daughter. Both went to get jobs after graduation. Both were struggling when they both. It happened to both of them mentioned that they were trained at Avondale University College together and this was the the clincher in getting the job together with Sydney Adventist Hospital it opened up doors so the reputation that the SAN has for training really is second to none and I think a lot of other nurses have experienced that but I was interested that it seems to me that as I'm listening to you training both you're helping to train both nurses and doctors for the future correct you are the yes. CEO of the SAN of Sydney Adventist Hospital. You have been for a few years now. Um, you have a vision for that hospital? We want to be a thriving, faith-based provider of world-class care, inspiring hope and well-being. Um, we are unambiguously faith-based. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, we don't want to be shy about that. Final question. Why, yep. if I'm a patient and I'm going in for surgery or I need health care of some sort, and that involves hospital, why go to the SAN? Lloyd, I think we've talked about uh, a lot of those reasons in our conversation, and I think that I would summarise it in saying that we have, we've got fantastic people mm. across our clinical workforce and across our non-clinical workforce. We've got fantastic medical staff. Mm. Um, who are at the at the top of their game mm. in terms of the uh, their expertise and the uh, the treatment they can offer, mm. and we've got a fantastic facility that is very well equipped um, and has the capacity. Some of that is about scale mm. to mm. be able to essentially deal with anything. Yeah. Um, in terms of the the now. You know, we're humans and we're all flawed and we're all, yeah. uh, you know, in terms of we're not perfect. Yeah. But in terms yeah. of that uh, and and uh, the and people, so patients who come, there can be bad outcomes for people. There's yeah. no doubt about oh, that. Yeah. Because, yeah. But I think that those three things, our great people, our, our leading clinicians, our the facilities, etc., and our ability to be able to offer the most acute and intensive treatment if it's required. Yeah. Um, makes it uh, the place to come to. Yeah, it is a fabulous we hospital. Know that, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah um, and obviously I, I'm, I'm 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 biased, but I but it's a, I do love the place, and I think that um, I do you know love the contribution yeah. that we're enabled to, to to make as a healthcare provider, yeah. and and it's nice to be a unique Seventh Day Adventist owned. Yeah, healthcare provider. It is, and and uh, congratulations on having such a wonderful healthcare facility. And I want to thank you, Brett Goods, for your time. I want to wish you all the best for the future. And I can assure you that if, and I hope it won't be, happen, but if I need care personally, I'll be back at the SAN, and I encourage our listeners to have a look at the SAN. It is a wonderful hospital with great staff. Uh, God bless you. Thank you very much, Lloyd, and thanks for the opportunity to talk to you. Thank you. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. You know, Hunty. Yeah, mate. The fact that the hospital's gone through this pandemic. Yep. Not a whole lot of help from the government. Nope. They've done really well, haven't they? Absolutely. God's really blessing them. Yeah, and I, I hope I never have to go in there again, but if I do need help, <laughs> that's where I'll be going. Because fair dinkum, I can say this neutrally. Am I neutral? 
Sure. You're you're, you're useless me. (laughs) It really is the best hospital in Australia. I've I've worked there and I can tell it from the inside too. Yeah, yeah. Just so, so proud of them. Well, this next song's a beauty. I think we all know this one, Hunty. How Deep the Father's Love. Yep. From Bethany Dillon. Father's Love, beautiful song, so love beautiful. that song. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to go somewhere, um, perhaps some would say uh, we need to be careful. That's all right. I like going places where we have to be careful. <laughs> That's it. Um, I've told you, I'm going to talk about the Trinity just for a moment. I'm going to have a discussion with you, Hunty. Yep. Now, you know the how, how it worked out for me. I was went to Avondale College. I did uh, teaching, wanted to become a pastor, um, was called in. This is an interesting story. You know the story, don't you? I think I do. I was called in by the head of the theology department <laughs> yes. in the college I was going to. Let's not, let's not, let's it's not name that college because it actually is my favourite 
uh, higher education play. I loved it. I had a fantastic time. But the head of theology department calls me and says, Lloyd, you won't be a pastor. Okay. <laughs> so then I bypassed him and I wrote letters to all the leaders of the church right around Australia. I got a job as a volunteer on the Gold Coast and the guy who hired me, I said, well, look, if I go all right for 12 months, will you hire me as a pastor? He said, yes. And this, you know, that was 31 years ago. But I remember when I got to the Gold Coast, I could not, I could not buy a Bible study, hunty. Mm. I, I couldn't get one, man. Yeah. Um, and, and that was a bit alarming for me because I was on a, I, I certainly was on a, what, what do you call it, probation. And I had to get some Bible studies and I wanted to win some people to Christ and yet I couldn't get it. And, and, and I, I was, remember thinking one day, here I am, first, second, third, fourth generation Christian Adventist. Third generation pastor, pastor, did you know that? Yeah, auntie? I did. And I could not get a Bible study. And so one day these Great two guys, <laughs> yeah, they turned up and they knocked on my door. Two, two guys, guys in white and black? Yeah. Yes. Really well dressed. <laughs> young fellas, good looking blokes. Actually, that's not true. One was young, one was old. Yep. So I invited them in. They were JWs, Jehovah Witnesses. I actually become fast friends with them. And I thought, well, you know, I can't get a Bible study. And we used to send a report into the president every week. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to put these guys down for a Bible study. So we started to study the Bible. And I worked out pretty quickly that these guys were Jehovah Witnesses. And you know what they were? They were, let me use this word. Now, some of our listeners might not get it. I'll explain it in a second. They were and this is what Jehovah Witnesses are. A good people, by the way, Hunty. Of course. I mean, they've got courage going door to door. And dedication. Yeah, good people. They were anti-Trinitarian. Anti-Trinitarian. Mm. You know what that means? One God. Well, we believe in one God. We do. They don't believe in the Holy Spirit. Well, you're close. What they don't believe in is that they don't, they don't believe in the full divinity of Jesus Christ. Yep. So they'll say, yes, God the Father is God. We all agree with that. And then they'll say, oh, but Jesus came forth from the Father somewhere back in the eons of eternity. So in other words, he came forth. I say, well, he's created. They go, oh, no, they don't like that. He came forth. I don't exactly know what that means. He comes forth. So mm. he never existed. Then he came forth and he did exist. Yep. And any divinity he's got has been given to him. And then they say the Holy Spirit doesn't exist. Mm. He's just a force yep. that comes from the Father and the Son. Yep. There's a problem for mainstream Christianity with this view in that it's just not biblical because what the Bible talks about is God and God consists of God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. They are three beings yep. who make up the one, one God. God. And the next yep. couple of weeks I want to look at that in this time segment. Is that all right? Yep. Let's. But I want to share just a couple of things with you today that will start us on that journey because it's a good journey. Yep. And I want to look at a couple of Bible studies. What do you reckon? Yes. About the Trinity. Who is God? That's the question I'm asking today. Who is God? And we're going to answer that over the next couple of weeks. This is just a shorty, hunty. We're not going to go long. Yep. But I want to look at, I want to take you right back to the beginning of the Bible because in the first chapter of the Bible, the Bible answers or begins to answer the question, who is God? Yep. Genesis chapter one. Guess where I'm going? Um, verse, verse one. One. Yep. Read it for me, mate. Sure. In the beginning, God, Created the heavens and the earth. Keep going. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Okay, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa, whoa. whoa. So in the beginning, who created the heavens and the earth? God. God. Actually, I believe that, hunty. Me too. I, I don't just say it. I don't say it. I believe it to my core. So do I. Evolution just, is, just can't cut it for me. Well, it doesn't work for us. No. In the beginning, and we might talk about that another day too. Sure. In the beginning, God 
created the heaven and the earth. Hey, I just had a thought. Yep. Wouldn't it be cool to get um, a creationist and an evolutionist on here for a debate? We've done that before. Not on radio. Not on radio. No, we did it on television once. Yeah, it was fantastic. It was fantastic. It? What was great, yeah, what was great is the creation side very firmly mm-hmm. won that debate. They did. I don't know whether that's the right word one, but I was anyway. going to say smashed them, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so in the beginning, God, God. creates. So we've got yep. God. But then in the second verse, we've got another entity. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep of the waters, and what? The Spirit of God. So we've got God, and then we've got yep, the Spirit, Spirit of God. God. A lot of people yep. will say, oh, well, the God in Genesis 1 verse 1 is God the Father. Can you live with that, hunting? Because I can. Sure. Yeah, no worries. Yep. So you've got God the Father, and then in verse 2, who you got? God the Holy Spirit. Yep. So you've got God the Father, God the, the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Hey, go to verse 26, because this is a clincher. Man, when I'm studying with these guys on the Gold Coast, they shook me. Yep. These JWs, I'm early in my walk with Jesus. Yep. They shook me. It shook me. And it, when I went and studied it for myself, that's when I became reassured, hey, yeah, God is three persons in one God. And, and, and this was the sort of Bible study that brought me the assurance I was after. Verse 26, look at this. This is crucial, hunty. Okay, then God said, let us make... Whoa, whoa, who? God said, said what? Let us. Let who? Us. Now, if it was just one, it'd say what? Let me. God said, let me. I will. Yeah, I will. will. Mm. It'd be singular. That's true. But this is in the ancient, do you know what this is written in? Uh, Hebrew. 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 This is in the ancient Hebrew. And the word is plural in the Hebrew. And it means, do you know what the plural in the Hebrew means? I don't. Two or more. Yep. So when God says, let us, it's the word is two or more. Then God said, let us what? Make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Oh, great Bible study, hunty. We're going well here, mate. Love it. So Genesis 1, 1 and 2, we've got God the Father, we've got God, God the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. And Genesis one twenty six, we've got let us. us. Yep. Make mankind in our image, so us an hour. One more text and I'll pull this up for today okay. and we'll take it on next week. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1, verse, I'll make sure I get this right, fifth, uh, verse 15. 15. And this is, this is Paul the Apostle and he's talking about Jesus. Okay. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things that we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. So now you've got Jesus in the creation. Can you see that? Yep. Hey, let me show you what I'll do. I wish I had more time for this, but and I'll do it. Watch this, Hunter. Yep. Christ is a visible image of the invisible God. That's just saying Christ is God. Yep. Jesus, so I'm going to replace the word he with Jesus, okay? Yep. Watch this. Jesus created, Jesus existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. With me? Yep. For through Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. Jesus made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through Jesus and for Jesus. Jesus existed before anything else, and Jesus holds all the creation together. Right. 
Got it. Can it be clearer? Perfect. So this is my little summary on our little Bible study today on the Trinity. You've got the Trinity in Genesis chapter 1 because you've got the Father and you've got the Holy Spirit. Yep. And then in Colossians, then Paul comes through and says, well, Jesus was in it too. What does it mean? It means God. Who's yep. God? God is God the Father, God the Son, Son God, the Holy, God the Holy Spirit. God created the heavens and the earth. God, God, who's God? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're all in it. Yep. The Bible uses the word Godhead. The Godhead made our planet. and The Godhead made you. Beautiful, isn't it, Hunty? Absolutely. We're going to go on further next week and we're going to have a look at this just a little more because I think what we're looking at is really, really interesting stuff. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. Okay. I can continue. You can continue now. <laughs> I wasn't quite finished. I was in mid-sentence. Welcome to Live Radio. I've got a very, very tender trigger finger. <laughs> Fair enough. No worries at all. Hey, Hunty, yeah. if you want to contact us, we've still got, we're open. That's right. We, hey, we've got questions. them coming in today more than ever. Praise yes, God, praise more God. than ever. Yeah. Go Just on. keep sending your questions. 0488880851 or info. At AussiePasta.com. Send them in. Send we'll have a go. In. Absolutely. We're going to have a go to answer them. Here's a beautiful song by Daryl Sawyer. He's always there.
welcome Harold Harker to the program today. He's a historian, a pastor, an administrator, a husband, a dad. And we get him on this program regularly because he has these interesting, fascinating, fabulous stories about the past and men and women who have made tremendous uh, advances for Christ in their lives and in their ministries. Welcome, Harold. Thank you, Lloyd. It's great to be with you again. Now, we're going to talk about Thomas Cranmer today, an interesting fellow, born in Nottinghamshire, 2nd of July, 1489. Tell us a little bit about him and what he was famous, notable for. Cranmer was the second son of another Thomas Cranmer, his dad, and his dad only had a limited amount of money and he endowed his first son, John, and that meant that Thomas Cranmer and his younger brother had to go and join the church and become priests in the end. Okay. Now, before we even get into his education, if we go right right back, it seems that from an early time in his life, really, he was an uncertain and easy influence sort of a guy. What, what happened to him? What made him like that? Um because it was a little bit of a weakness in his character that took a long time for him to get rid of. Well, as a young lad, his first teacher was so severe and strict that he just really pressed him down and he always felt uncertain about different things. And so he never made strong decisions. He, We would say he, he flip-flopped a bit. He was a bit wishy-washy, but he finally came good. And But that left him all his life with this... Um, characteristic. Yeah, it's just amazing, isn't it, what influence us older ones can have on. We need to be careful on very young people as they come into our, our sphere of influence. He ends up going to university. Um, where did Cranmer go to university? Well, he would join the Cambridge University. There are two big universities in England, Oxford and Cambridge, and he went to Cambridge and enrolled in Jesus College. So if he's in Jesus College, he's studying theology for what? He, Yes, and philosophy and theology. Uh, all the colleges of each university would have their students. They're part of one university which covered all those colleges. And he started there and later on even became a, a lecturer in Jesus College at Cambridge. So he becomes a priest, basically. Yes, he does. Now, back then, priests weren't allowed to marry just as the Catholic priests are not allowed to these days. Is, is that correct? That's correct. Something happens that uh, while he's at university, um, and and it impacts his as a it impacts his job as a lecturer as a priest. Tell us about that. Well, he decided he'd get married, <laughs> even though priests never got married. Then he got married, and because of that, he lost his fellowship. He had to leave his teaching because his wife uh, he had a wife. Yeah, even back then you start to get a sense of a little bit of an independent streak in this guy, don't you? And, and he is, even though he's a bit of a flip-flopper, he is prepared yep. to step outside the boundaries and he's done that here, he's gone, he's fallen in love, he gets married, but it didn't really end happily. No, that year he got married, his wife died, died in childbirth and so he doesn't have a wife now and that would mean that he might be eligible to go back to where he was. So he does that? Yes, he does. He's, he's encouraged to come back and he's restored. So he becomes again a lecturer at Jesus College. In fact, he was one of the most outstanding theologians at that time. Yeah, I'm thinking, you know, as you, as you say to me, as you, as you tell a story and you share with us then, that he actually, after he, he goes and does what would be a real no-no, falls in love, gets married, 
his, his poor wife dies in childbirth. The fact that he was able to come back to the university gives you a glimpse of the brilliance of his mind and how much they really wanted him involved uh, in the university as a teacher, lecturer and leader. That's right. Now, while he was at Cambridge, he joined a group that was known as Little Germany. Yep. And this group of who became uh, pioneers of the Protestant group in uh, a church in Britain in, they studied the works of Martin Luther privately. They met yep. every week and they'd talk about it. So this Catholic priest, uh, yeah. Cranmer, is starting to come under the influence of Luther and the Protestant Reformation. Is that right? That's correct. He gets a little of that. He begins to accept some of it. And uh, it, it's his growth in his life and experience. So he's known for his brilliance. Is that right? That's right, he was. He was an outstanding guy and he could see what it was and as he accepted a bit of this um, Protestantism from Luther and from this group who was studying, Thomas Bilney and others there, then he became more open or we they would have said more liberal in that day. In fact, he becomes so open that 1525 he prays a prayer and it was a dangerous one. Can you tell us what that was about? Oh, wow. That was a great one. But in this group, they would meet and he prayed that Britain, England, would be freed from papal power. In other words, here's a Catholic priest praying that papal power will finish in England. It's amazing, you know, what the gospel, and, and that's what he was coming across as he studied with these men, um, the, the works of Luther and, and from the Bible. He's coming across the, across the gospel where, you know, you are saved by Jesus alone, by his blood, by faith. And it is a liberating, powerful thing. And you can just imagine how this flip-flop boy, man, uh, you, you can just imagine how this gospel starting to get into his heart and change. Now, King Henry. The, uh, yep. Cranmer comes, yeah, comes, comes to his attention and he had a problem. Tell us about that. Well, Henry had married Anne Boleyn and he got sick of her after a little while and he wanted to ditch her and look for someone else. Yep. And he needed the church to give him the okay. And so that was a big problem. But uh, Because Cranmer, the, the Catholic Church would not allow divorce, is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. So how does Cranmer come into the story? Well, he beca- he, the king calls him to be one of his counsellors and they talk about what they can do for div- to get this divorce legitimised, in other words, nullified uh, for some reason, and Cranmer comes up with an idea. Well, let's have a big debate amongst the universities for how we can do it. Yes, yes. And, and they had and- that debate? Yes, that did go on, and uh, it was debated by the two universities, Oxford and Cambridge, and uh, they still, they come up with this answer, but, you know, they've got to get the Pope's assent as well. So so they have this big debate, and this would be a huge national thing in, in England at the time, I would imagine. Um, oh, yes. Uh, it, there were no newspapers and there was no internet, but if there had have been, it would have been all over the news. Um, Cranmer is, is kind of siding with Henry here. I, I, that's, that's the sense I get. And he's able to lead both the universities to a conclusion that, yeah, what Henry wants is, is, is possibly okay, but we, we're going to still go and get permission from the Pope. Is, did I get that right, or have I got that wrong? That's, that's right. They've got to, they send Cranmer along to Rome. Now, that's quite a journey. 
and he's got to present Henry's case there to the Pope. And so uh, Cranmer goes off, travels all the way across and makes some appointments with uh, in Rome with the Pope. And finally, because of a false um, claim yeah. that Anne Boleyn had uh, been inv- unfaithful to Henry, they said, OK, because of that, the marriage is finished. Okay, so so what we've got here is Cramer is on a journey to Jesus. He he's probably not quite there yet. Would that be fair to say he's he's in that, that transition? Would be right. Because he, if he was in this, it's it's not really an honourable thing that they did to Anne, is it? No, not at all. But when he goes there, he's he's still a Catholic. He's not a Protestant, even he's though he's got Catholic. these Protestant leanings. In fact, while he's in Rome. The Pope even makes him the Grand Penitentiary of England. That was the highest you could get, the representative of the Pope. And it's interesting, I read this, when he put his expenses in, he was given six shillings a day until the day he was made Grand Penitentiary, and then he was allowed 20 shillings a day because of his higher title. How's that? (laughs) It probably was a lot of money back then too. I I, I don't know, but I imagine it would have been. It would have been, yes. I, I think we're also getting another glimpse into the brilliance of Cranmer's mind, that, that he has such influence on the absolute uh, most powerful men in the women, well, in the world, sorry, the, the most yep. powerful men in the world, um, the King of England and, and, and the Pope, uh, and he has this, this uh, influence on them that is, is very, very strong and powerful. That's true, and he was a, a leader of Britain at this time, the king's counsellor, yep. a man who spoke with the Pope, and he had this title. He was a big man. He represented the Pope in England. Um, That's right. But God is working on this guy's heart because he goes to Germany in 1532. Yep. He doesn't go there he seeking said- the... He's not going there seeking the Pope. Tell us about that. No, well, he sent as an ambassador to Charles V, who was the emperor of Germany. Yes. And uh, he's told us, see, what are these Lutheran guys talking about? The princes. Mm. Not necessarily Luther, but the princes. What are they doing? And so he gets in contact with these, and his idea of the gospel gets clearer and clearer as he goes. This is the, the... updating of his mind to the way God saves people. He's on a journey. I mean, this guy really is on a journey. Uh, What outrageous thing did he then do? Well, while he's over there, his first wife had died some years before, Mm. but he met one of the uh, Protestant leaders, Osiander, and he saw his niece there and he said, she's a good-looking lady, I'll marry her, and he married her. So Here's the Pope's representative getting married while he's in Germany. <laughs> Incredible, really, isn't it? I, I, look, I don't know the story that intimately. I wonder whether the, how the Pope reacted to that. Um, you know, this is this is one of his his top men, and he, he's just walking all this time outside the boundaries. He's he's getting married. He's he's dabbling in Protestantism. Incredible, really. It is. It's groundbreaking for that time. It was uh, today. It would have been the headlines of all the papers everywhere. You can actually still see him flip flopping a bit through this, though, can't you? I mean, he he sees the Protestant message. He he flip flops back to Catholicism, and he goes to Protestantism. It's he he is struggling to make a, a a firm stand for Christ. But while he's in Germany, would it be fair to say that he really did deeply 
begin to understand the Protestant Reformation and what Jesus had done for him? Well, I think he was understanding more because while he's there, uh, he's in March 1533, uh, yep. he's asked to be the Pope's head leader of the church in Britain yep. as the Archbishop of Canterbury, and he's got to take an oath to the Pope, and he says, well, I'll take that, but I'm not bound by it. So he really was flip-flopping in taking the oath, and he didn't mean it. Yeah, but but Jesus, is, I think the point is Jesus is working on this man's heart. That's right. Now, big things are happening. Thing, big things are happening in England with Henry VIII too. What happens in in fifteen thirty four? And this really was, I think, one of the most significant events in the history of the world and in the history of Protestantism. Well, Henry, did, to try and not have to appeal to the Pope anymore. He said, I'm the head of the Church of England now, 1534. Mm. And everything, I, I give all the final answers and everything stops with me. How did that the was Pope, a massive decision. How did the Pope take to that? Well, he didn't. There was fights for, for ages after that, but that's the beginning of the Church of England. And of course, Henry wanted another wife or another wife or another wife. It's amazing how God will take bad things, sometimes even evil, wicked things like Henry's um, how do you say it? Adulterous behaviour, yep. and God is still yep. able to bring good out of it because through that adulterous behaviour, um, England was able to separate herself from Rome and from the papacy, and Correct. it gave England the room they needed to really launch into the Protestant Reformation. Um, what favours did Cranmer do for Henry? Well, he finally agreed that he should divorce and then he did the same with Anne of Cleves because of dubious evidence that probably wasn't true mm. but you take uh, evidence on face value and he let um, Henry have another wife and so on. So he really assisted him in the task of reformation in this Church of England as it started to split away from Rome and... Cranmer introduced many reforms into the church at that time. Yeah, he, he developed an entire new way of worshipping, really, didn't he? A more Protestant way of worshipping. Well, he brought a new liturgy there. He published a book of homilies. He was it's the first Protestant prayer book. He yeah. did all of that, and the Church of England, its liturgy, owes a lot now to Thomas Cranmer. Do we know when... Thomas Cranmer actually made a decision to leave Catholicism and become a Protestant and a leading Protestant? Was it was it when Henry VIII had his divorces and separated from the Pope? Does, does history tell us that or was it more just a gradual thing that that happened over time and we, we don't really know the exact moment or time? Well, you know, it really came to a head when Henry died Yep, and there was a... Um, Edward VIII was the next king, and he helped him for a while, but he only reigned for about six years or something. Yeah, yeah. And then Mary becomes the, the queen, and she's a through-and-through through Catholic and wants Cranmer actually executed. Yeah, actually, he went head-to-head head against her. By this time, he'd stopped flip-flopping and had become a That's warrior right. for Christ. Very brave man. That's, he is a through-and-through through Protestant now, and he's against... Mary, and he's against what the Catholic Church was doing, and he he was yes he he followed his belief to the end. Actually, he was. This is a point now where he really has such a close relationship with Christ that he'd rather stand up and die than give it up. So he really has become a Protestant's Protestant and the leader of Protestantism in England, in Britain. So so what did Mary do with him? 
Well, Mary ordered him to be put in prison, and he and Ridley and Latimer were put in Bockard's prison in Oxford. Mm -hmm. And finally, he is martyred in Oxford. How did they martyr him? Well, they burnt him. They put him on a stake in Broad Street, and they burnt him. And uh, this guy, who had been forced to recant a couple of times under extreme pressure, while he's being burnt, he holds out his hand that had written the recantation to get burnt first in the flames because now he's made his decision. It's final. He is with Jesus and nothing else matters. I find that really interesting. So even at the end, they put him in prison, they torture him. He actually recants. And he, he, he signs papers to say that, but then he goes back on that on that decision and says, "No, I'm going to stand for Christ to the end." And you say, when he got gets in the fire, he thrusts that hand into the fire that that signed that paper that betrayed his Lord. He be, he withdrew his his often. See, when people put up for martyrdom, they are given a chance to recant. Yeah, yeah. He says, "No, I withdraw all my recantations." Yep. This is true, and I believe it. So Mary murdered him. That, well, he was burnt as a, he was martyred on the stake on twenty first of March, fifteen fifty six. I think. But I'm, let me tell you, yep. his last words, Lloyd. Yeah. His last words, as the fire is beginning to go, and he holds his hand out, he says, "Lord Jesus, receive my spirit." I see the heavens open and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. I believe they did, he did see that. He wasn't he, he, was, he, he wasn't the only martyr who cried that prayer and claims that wonderful experience. Uh, it's Steve almost like back in Jesus time. Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, it's, it's like Jesus opens up heaven and gives them a glimpse. Hey. Um, I'm coming back, and this is where you'll be soon. Um, I guess, I guess, Lloyd, you have to realise his growth and uh, through the years was because of where he had come from. Yeah, and yeah. I believe it's a, a great story, a massive change of this mighty man who did so much for God. I think it gives us hope ourselves because when we look back on our lives, most of us are flip floppers. We've struggled, we've battled all our, battled all our lives. Many of us, not, not everybody, but many have battled all their lives to follow Jesus in a faithful and intimate way. And yet Jesus never, ever gives up on us. And, and here's Cranmer. He became, I think, one of the greatest influences in Protestant Britain because even after he died, his influence went on. Is that correct? That's correct. The book of prayer is still there. The liturgy is still there. And so his, his, uh, what he's left for us is a great thing from this man who was a man of God. You know, Mary died not long after. She herself uh, was martyred, um, executed for her crimes. She dies. Britain drifts back fairly quickly into Protestantism. And I think it would be fair to say, wouldn't it, that Cranmer was one of the foundations that... Jesus built the Protestant church on in England. Would you would you say that? Yes, there are there are a number of them, but he is one of the great men who may help make that change right through Britain. Um, final question: When you look at Cranmer's life, when you look at it yourself, Harold, and I know you've studied uh, his life. We, we've we've actually been you've been in England where he he worked and where he preached and where he taught. So you know his life well. What, what do you think we can learn today from Cranmer? 
I think as you study the Bible, God reveals more and more of his love for us, how he saves us, and we respond by living that way and make him first and foremost in our lives. Well, thank you, Harold. Another fantastic, a fabulous story of one of God's heroes from history. Um, appreciate very much the work you're putting in for us, sharing these stories, and I hope to talk to you again soon about another one of these mighty men or women. Thanks, Lloyd. God bless. God bless you. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. Hey, you know something, Hunty? Yeah, mate. Almost all the men and women that Harold Hark has spoken to us about, not all of them, but almost all of them, have ended up being executed, martyred, dying for their I faith. I know, right? Uh, yeah, it's, a great, it's, it's great for me to hear the strength of these people. What love you'd have to have for yep. Jesus our yep. Lord yep. to be martyred for. And it just goes to show how real Jesus is and what an impact and how deep uh, an influence he has on lives when he comes. Yep. It is amazing. And this, when I listen to these stories that Harold unpacks for us, I think this next song, I feel like going home. You kind of have a longing for home, don't you? When you see the way people suffer for Jesus Christ, absolutely amazing. This is a beautiful song. Hope you enjoy it.
That's Frontier. I feel like going home. You feel like going home, Hunty? What a great song. Yeah, it is. And yet, I can't wait. Yeah, I listen to that song and I kind of have a, a, a longing to go home to the Lord, to be with him in a place where there's no pain and there's no anxiety and there's no fear. You know, one of the things I'm noticing with COVID, you know, I, I often talk to my elderly parents, Hunty, who haven't had their COVID injection and mm. they're not sure and they're anxious and they're afraid and they're, mm. they're hearing um, advice from all sides. You know, I'm saying, go, 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 do it. And there are other family members saying, no, 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 don't. And you can imagine how fearful that is for oldies. Yep. And uh, I guess when they hear that song and my dad and mum listen to this program, they feel like going home too. Yep, yep. To a place where there's no anxiety or fear. Hey, ask the Aussie pastor. It's time. We have so many questions. This is a first. Yes. We have so many questions today we can't answer them all. Thank you, thank you, yep. thank you thank to you our listeners. Yes. And if you keep sending them in at this rate, we'll just make this we'll, segment We'll bigger. grow the segment, yes. Yeah, because some it, great questions. Yeah, it's really important to me, actually, that this segment is uh, going to go because it's interaction between us and our listeners. I think it's very important because I think as a pastor you need to be Itching where there's, or scratching where there's an itch, and people are sending in what's on their heart. Mm. That's Even important. if I can't answer them all, I uh, think I think you're going to struggle today. We'll see. I've, I've reviewed some of the questions. Let's go. Okay. Um, are Shem and Melchizedek the same person? Well, Shem's Noah's son. He came out of the ark at the flood. I have no reason to think they are. Okay. And, and look, what? Whoever wrote that question, you better. And I'm not sure who it is because no, I don't it know came either. in anonymous. Yeah. Look. Yep. Give me a follow-up because I'd like to know why you think Shem and Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Uh, yeah, thanks for that correction. Melchizedek <laughs> are the same person. I have no idea why someone would think that, to be honest. Um, why Why would they be the same person? I don't know. Yeah, me either. Are they? I don't know. I, <laughs> so there you go. Hey, you, ask us, send us some more follow-up yeah, data on this. Yeah, give us a follow-up on yeah, that one so because can, I, I'm interested. Yeah. I'm interested in why they think that. Yes, me too. Yeah, go. All right, this next one's going to be hard. I've been dating my girlfriend for six years and have been struggling with guilt because we have been sexually active. What does the Bible say on this? No means no, or is there any grey area? And if there's no grey area, how can we reset? No, there's no grey area. One of the first things God did to me when he called me to his cause is he said, Lloyd, no more of that. Very clear, very black and white. If you're following Jesus Christ... Uh, you got a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you're not going to touch them. So you're saying no more sex. Marriage. Yeah, that's it. Wow. Not until marriage. That's what the Bible says. God's very clear on that. He has a plan for you. Sex is a, an important part of marriage. Uh, I understand because I've been down that other road. And I, I understand, Hunty, how difficult it can be to get out. Can you reset? Absolutely. God is the God of resets. Totally you can. I'm not telling you if you've got a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend and you're sleeping with them that you have to give them up. I mean, God might say that, hunty. He might say you've got to give that person up. Chances are he might say that you don't. But what you do have to do, if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to be born again, if you're going to ask him into your heart and he is the Lord and Saviour of your life, then you are going to need to walk down the road that he sets. And that, that road that he sets is definitely a road of, of until marriage of what's the word? When we when when people aren't touching each other, mm-hmm. uh, what's yeah, that word? Abstinence or there is a word, but anyway, I can't mm-hmm. think of it. That happens when you get old. So yeah, um, the answer to that, Hunty, is 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 if you're sexually active and you find Jesus and He comes in the heart, stop, stop it till you. Bible's Bible's so clear on that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 
Okay, we've got a sexual theme today. Yeah. <laughs> what about pornography? Is it acceptable for me and my wife to watch it together? By the way, Hunty, these aren't Dorothy Dixes. What's a Dorothy Dix? Uh, that's a question we send ourselves. Yeah, that, these are real questions for coming sure. in from for listeners. Sure. For sure. What about pornography? Is it acceptable for me and my wife to watch it together? No. It's actually come from a guy named James. Yeah. Mm. No, definitely not. No, no, no. And, and I'll tell why, you why. why. Yeah, why? In Matthew 5, pornography has a major impact on men and an increasingly impact on women. Uh, pornography is bringing a third party into the experience. Um, a physical relationship between a husband and wife is between three. It's between the husband and the wife and Ooh. God. Really? God is very much in it. He is. Wow. Uh, he blesses that relationship. He he encourages that that marriage relationship. But when you bring pornography and you bring in a third party, and you know what the Bible says in Matthew 5, Jesus says, if a man, and he could say or a woman, if a man looks at another woman other than his wife and lusts after her, then Jesus says in Matthew 5, yep. that is adultery. And that's what pornography is all about. Yeah. People have argued with me on pornography pretty much my entire ministry, and I get what it's about, and I get the danger of it because you are looking at someone else who is not yours. You are lusting after them, and Jesus said that's adultery. I mean, that's a slam dunk again. And if you want to damage your relationship, your marriage, if you want to harm it, you bring pornography into it. I can tell you there is no place for pornography in the life of the Christian, no matter uh, uh, under any circumstances. This stuff is a Satan, and it's destroying Sexuality that God created. So yeah, look again. Very simple mm, answer. That's a great answer. Is it answer. acceptable? Acceptable? No, no, no. And and if you're doing that sort of stuff, get it out of your relationship as fast as you can because it's it's only damaging you. Yeah, well said, Pastor. Oh, this next one's a tricky one. Dear Rosie Pastor, I've been attending my church for the last ten years. During this time, I witnessed it go from a slightly more conservative service, which I prefer to now being filled with modern music, even soft music being played throughout the prayer times. I've always thought the prayer time was quiet time for you to speak to God and didn't need a musical filler. What should I do? Should I stick with my current church or should I find something that suits my particular type and style of worship better? Am I betraying my friends that I've made over the last 10 years by going elsewhere? Okay, that's a real good question. That's a rip with multiple facets. Yeah, um, if we go through it, uh, he was in a more conservative church. Well, the church was conservative, and the church seems to me to have morphed into a lesser conservative church. Which is not a bad thing in itself. Uh, no. Music's pretty subjective, although when it comes to music, there is music that is acceptable to God, and, and, and there is music that isn't. Hey, you want to know the secret on music, by the way? Be born again. Yeah. The musicians, yes. be born again. Yes. Those who are worshipping, be born again. Yeah, the, number you, of, the number of times I've seen the lead guitarist or the, or the drummer... Just up there, for, what to me seems to be just for self. Well, you can say preachers, rock us preachers do that sometimes. Yeah, every everyone can do that, I guess, on I mean, stage. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've got to be born again. And when you're born again, two things will happen. If you're up on the stage and you're yep. singing or you're yep. playing the drums or the guitar or whatever, if you're born again, you'll be playing them to the glory of God. You'll be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and he will be leading you to the way you play your music and what you play. That's the first point. The second point. If you're in the congregation and you're born again, you have an instinct about what's happening in this church, whether it's right or wrong. Now, there are things that are happening in churches today that are wrong. And you need the Holy Spirit to give you an instinct and to let you know that. There are things that are happening which are right, which are great. All right, yeah, good. Sometimes it's personal preference. So I go to that uh, that prayer with the music in it. Mm. I actually happen to be with this guy. I actually don't like stuff in the prayer. 
I would rather the prayer be quiet. But I know other people mm. with no music in it. Mm. I know other people though who've got I a born again it. relationship with, with, yeah, with Jesus. Mm. It deeply blesses. So that's a personal thing. Well, sometimes it actually, it actually quietens the babies and the kids that are, that are making noise that the music under the prayer kind of gives you able to focus just on the Again, prayer. a personal thing. Of course, personal and subjective. Now, when it comes to the church, should I stay or should I go? Again, go to Jesus on that one. Of course. There's no right or wrong for I can't give you an answer on radio except to say be born again. That means ask the Holy Spirit into your life. Make Jesus the Lord of your life. Yes. And then Jesus will lead and direct and guide you and make it very clear whether you should stay in that church or go. Very wise advice, Pastor. I hope that works mm. for our listener because that's from my heart. Very that's good. how I see it. Mm. Next question. Last one, I think, Last because question, we're yeah. running out of time. Yeah. Uh, hi, Aussie Pastor. I heard you talking about the state of origin. I really love my sport. I'm not a Christian. Sport is my religion, and I'm a passionate A-League supporter. Some matches are played on Friday nights, and others are played on Saturday afternoons. Does the Bible say anything about not attending sporting events on Saturdays, as I know that you are an Adventist? Why shouldn't I be attending sporting matches on Saturdays? After all, isn't it just another day of the week? <laughs> what a fantastic <laughs> question. <laughs> That is one of the best we've had so far. And again, I want to tell our, Dick, our listeners, these are not Dorothy Dixes. These no, are real I pro- questions. I promise you I did not send this question. These are real questions coming from real listeners. Look, it's simple. When it comes to the Sabbath, uh, um, sport, uh, whatever, um, I have a simple answer to that too, Hunty. Yep. Um, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Yes. Okay. Yes. That word holy means set apart. So remember the Sabbath day, set it apart. Yep. How do I set it apart? Well, there are some things the Bible says. Uh, yep. Don't do your own, don't pleasure, do your own pleasure, which kind yeah. of sport falls into. Yep. Um, don't work. Yep. But you can choose to follow the Bible's advice and that or not. I, I, I go even further. I reckon the Sabbath is about you and me. It's about you and Jesus, me yep. and Jesus. Yep. It's 24 hours of time that Jesus sets out for, for me to spend with him. It, to me, it's not so much should I or shouldn't I do that. I, I kind of don't look at the Sabbath like that, hunting. That's fair income. I come to the Sabbath looking for an experience with Jesus. I get healing on the Sabbath. He builds me up. He encourages me. He inspires me through the worship. So I'm looking for an experience with Jesus. So so it's simple for me. If what I'm doing gives me a deeper experience with Jesus, I do it. You with me? Yep. If what I'm doing does not bless my experience with Jesus or is neutral, I don't. Why? Well, because the Sabbath is about you and Jesus yep. spending time together, getting closer. Yes. Does that make sense? Very good. So I don't say, oh, should I go to the soccer or not? I'll just say, oh, well, will that go into the soccer? And by the way, I'm not into the A-League. I'm, I'm NRL. That's right. Broncos. What a terrible, terrible three or four years of Broncos I had. <laughs> I mean, I, I went off rugby league, as I said earlier in this show a while ago, but, man, I don't want to ever touch football again. We, every team I go for, it's poison. <laughs> poison. <laughs> but, but that being said, uh, um, um, I, I understand the pull towards sport because I come from that. Yep. Background. But man, for me, the Sabbath's not about what I can and can't do. Can I watch sport? Can I, you know, can I go surfing or can't I? You know, you know what I do? I've got a DVR. What's a DVR? So I can get all my sport that happens on Sabbath. Car oh. racing and football. I've got recording it all so I can watch it when I feel like it. You know what? I don't even do that. Oh. I don't even do that. I don't even want to go down that road. I, I, I and I'm not setting myself up above Hunty because there's no, I, I know Hunty's a fair income follower of Jesus. Yeah, uh, but but I don't even do that anymore. I, I just try to concentrate solely on on my experience with Jesus. I know you do that too, Hunty. Um, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Amen. It's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. Okay. I think it's time for a song. 
What are we going to do? Let me, let, I'm going to let Hunty do this. What song are we going to sing? Uh, what, well, I mean, we're you, not going to sing any Hunt <laughs> song. We're going to listen. You chose the song. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've got it queued up, but it's yeah. called God on the Mountain. Do you know it? No. I do. Okay, you, you should promo it. God on the Mountain, yep. Linda Randall, it's a beauty. Okay. It's a ripper. Very short, short Bible study, Hunty. Correct. Let's go for it. Okay. Lucifer rebels in yep. heaven, yep. comes down to earth, yep. tempts Adam and Eve. They fall. When they fall, God gives them a promise, comes looking for them in the garden and gives them a promise. They ate. What did they eat? Was it an apple? Apple. You reckon it's an apple? I reckon. Fruit. Fruit. Anyway, the Bible yep. says fruit. Yep. They ate the fruit. They fell. They plunged the world into... A terrible rebellion, and yep. then God comes down and says, "I will crush Satan, yep. and I will save you." Yep. And in a lot of them, a lot of people don't get this. In the very first chapter, God moves. 
on their salvation. Watch this. We haven't got a lot of time, so I'm going to condense this right down, but watch it, Hunty. Genesis chapter 3. I want you to read verse 6 and 7. Okay. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. That's verse 6. Seven as well? Okay. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. So they sinned, and they felt shame Mm. because they were naked. So sin plunges plunges them into a state where all of a sudden, hey, they look at themselves and they're naked. Hey, you know what I've learnt about sin, hunty? What's that? It always leaves you naked. Yes, that I'm is talking true. spiritually is here, so true. I'm not talking physically. Yep. It always leaves you exposed, yep. ashamed, and naked. Yep. And you see it in people whether or not they follow Christ or not. It always leaves you exposed. Yes. I want you to remember that My point. My experience too. Yeah, this is what I want you to remember today. Sin always leaves you exposed. You see some of the most famous people in the world. And I'm not going to give any examples because I don't think that's right. No. But you see some of the most famous people in the world, they do something really stupid, really simple. Okay, I'll give you one. A very famous footballer got caught two days ago sexting. He has a wife and three kids, mm. and he's trying to start something up with another woman. It's all over the papers in Britain. Oh, dear. Caught, exposed, naked, ashamed. Yep. So this is Adam and Eve. I'm going to close this Bible study with this because this is so... I'm going to go further on this next week because this is so beautiful, hunty. This is the gospel. Genesis chapter 3, everyone misses this. Well, not everyone, but a lot of people. Verse 20 and 21, this is beautiful. Okay. Then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. And the Lord God made clothing for animals for Adam and his wife. Read that 21 again. Uh, then the man Adam named his wife At Eve. 21, 21. Because she was the mother of all who 21, lived. 21. And the Lord God <laughs> made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Got it. Okay. They're naked and they're ashamed, and the Lord God made clothing. Clothing. Animals. Um, he clothes wow. them. Do you get wow. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Have you ever seen that? And so when you've sinned, when you're ashamed of where you are, and there's a lot of things we do where we are ashamed. Go to Jesus, repent, tell him what you've done, and he will clothe you. He will take away your shame. He will take away your nakedness. And I, I tell you what, hunty, probably that above all other things is why I love Jesus so much. And you know why he can yeah, do it? Me too. Because he took my sins. Yep. He took my sins. You know where he took them? He took them to Calvary.
Jesus, thank you for taking our sins to Calvary. And thank you for clothing us in our nakedness and our shame. You love us so much, and we love you too. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Well, it's a privilege to have you with us today, and I'm glad you joined us. My name is Lloyd Grolleman. I'm the Aussie pastor, and I love you so much. But Jesus, he loves you a whole lot more. See you next time. Thanks for joining the Aussie Pastor. If you enjoyed today's program and would like to find out more about Jesus, our ministry, or ways to support us, go to findjesus.tv. 